Thursday, February 8th, Flames Talk with Steinberg and Aaron Vickers of NHL.com on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. Hello, Vix. Hello, Patrick. So Thursday, Thursday night, Prudential Center, Newark, Newark, New Jersey. There we go. Um, Flames and Devils play for the second time and final time this season. Boy, do I think the Devils are a fascinating trade partner for the Flames. Uh, as we know, it's not all that long ago that they consummated a trade in late June of last year. Devils and Flames made the Toffoli Sharon Govich deal. Flames got the uh, third round pick additionally on top of uh, Sharon Govich the other way. I think the Devils are a fascinating trade partner for the Calgary Flames, and I think the Devils are a realistic trade partner for the Calgary Flames. In fact, I believe the Devils are very much in the mix and and one of the teams that is very closely and, and very hot and heavy in talks with the Flames or has been over the last number of weeks. And and not just for one of their potential assets. Like I think the, the Devils are a possible landing spot for Chris Tanev. I think the Devils are a possible landing spot if Noah Hannafin ends up getting moved. I think that they've been all over Markstrom for quite some time, but the Flames obviously have not been as keen to be talking about Jacob Markstrom and a trade. Devils as a trade partner? Just I, I, I think that you at the very least need to acknowledge that they're one of the teams that could do business here with Calgary between now and the trade deadline, and there's a lot of reason to believe that that'd be a good thing for both sides. For me, they're in such a weird spot because as it stands on Thursday entering their game against the Calgary Flames, they are five points out of a playoff spot. From a standings perspective, they're not in too different of a spot as the Calgary Flames having to leapfrog a couple teams within striking distance. Now, organizationally, I don't think they could be in two different spots because the New Jersey Devils have a young core. To me, their most interesting, their most intriguing players all fit in that 25 or 26-year-old range and under, whereas the Calgary Flames have skewed a little bit older over the course of the last couple of seasons. But you just look at where the New Jersey Devils are now, what they have coming up through their system, and the fact that I don't, I believe that their window is starting to open and any move that they would make would be trying to kick the door wide open for it. We've seen they've had a little touch of playoff success last season. They certainly want more. And anytime you have a player like Jack Hughes, you want to extend that window as long as you can and be competitive. And now he's locked up for the long term. So there's no concern about, oh, he's only going to be around for a year or two. I just wonder from an organizational perspective on their end, how urgent it is to not only make the playoffs, but make an Eastern Conference final, make a Stanley Cup finals appearance, knowing that, to me, the best from them is still yet to come with some of their younger players that haven't peaked just yet. But again, if you have Jack Hughes, why not accelerate this thing? you got a franchise center. You've got a couple of franchise D 
in terms of prospects that are just starting to blossom. You've already got a great core of under 26 players, like I mentioned, and then you have some veterans sprinkled on so top of it. So are you saying they shouldn't be a team that... I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm not saying they should, which adds to the intrigue as a potential trade partner because, again, if you have this roster and if you make some moves that isn't going to sacrifice some of your better young players that are just starting out as rookies in the NHL this year, it certainly makes it an interesting option to go out and get, whether it be, as you mentioned, whether it be a Noah Hannafin and he's a guy that you can add long-term, whether it's Chris Tanev in the short-term or whether it's shoring up your biggest, absolute biggest weakness in finding a goaltender and making a real legitimate run. Because to be perfectly honest, if they have league average goaltending, they're not five points out no, of the playoff they're, spot. They're firmly in. Well, and and if they also have a defense that isn't completely ravaged, yes. and, and it's getting, I guess, slightly healthier here, um, and the Devils are getting slightly healthier. They're finally getting Jack Hughes back Thursday night for the first time in more than a month. Hughes will play versus the Flames, which is a, a huge addition. Um, and you know, you still got three top six D that are on IRL. Very IR, aware yeah. of that. Like they are, and and you're talking about. You're talking about Dougie Hamilton and, and Jonas Siegenthaler, who are their two most important yes. defensemen right now. And that's with no disrespect to their two most important future pieces uh, that aren't named Jack Hughes in, in Luke, Luke Hughes, Hughes and, 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 and uh, Simon Nemich. Like these guys, the, those guys are getting huge minutes right now at the age of 20 and 19 on an NHL blue line without having Dougie Hamilton and Siegenthaler to take on the heavier minutes. And so... I think New Jersey looks at this year as yeah yeah let's let's go for it this year we're we're we still believe we can get in and make a run and five points back with two in hand they have the opportunity but at the other side of it I don't think any of the guys the the Devils might be interested in from a flame standpoint I mentioned Tanev Hannafin and Markstrom I think there's interest there or potential interest there in all three of them. I don't think that any one of them is a rental because I think Tanev would absolutely be a guy they'd look at at retaining if they were to bring him in on on the surface. It looks like a rental. If it works out, I think they'd be all over in trying to to re re-sign him. From their perspective, I'm much more on board with any move that sacrifices future. If you're getting players with term back, if you can come to a, an extension with Noah Hannafin prior to the trade, or you have some certainty that you think you'll get him beyond this year. Same with Chris Tannen. Of course, we know Jacob Markstrom's contract situation where he's got a few more years remaining, so there's term control on that. From their perspective, we saw them go out and get uh, Timo Meyer last season and resign him. So they were able to retain that sort of trade deadline pending unrestricted free agent splash there. I don't think they should sacrifice the future for an unrestricted free agent. They don't have interest in retaining beyond this season. But if they are able to get contract extensions in place for anybody they pick up, whether it's a member of the Calgary Flames currently or not, that's the way to go from their perspective. I, d- I don't. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to sound insulting towards you because it has nothing. Nothing to do with you. You're not you. going to hurt my feelings. Um, but like, I honestly don't care about what New Jersey <laughs> is better for them or well, not. Well, I'm just thinking from their perspective. And I get. And I'm not. And I'm not trying to say. I'm not trying to say what you're saying is invalid at all. It's more just for me, like. If if New Jersey if New Jersey is interested in a rental and his name is Chris Tanev and that can get the Flames a huge return like have at it Jersey like if you because yeah, I, I get what I, you're saying I think what you're saying is very valid but it's like well, still. I'm looking at it from New Jersey's point you're looking at it from Calgary's point exactly we, we could have a heck of a negotiation going yeah, on right now de- Devils talk like, that that, that could <laughs> be a really interesting conversation as to whether or not uh, touche Satan talk if they're like would would uh, would that be like Miro. That's a shatan. Okay. Um, the 
should the Devils be in the market for rentals? Very good conversation. If they are, though, then if you're the Flames, you're like, yeah, what can you get us for Chris Tanev? And I, I think there will be a, a massive, massive list of teams that are interested in Tanev uh, if when he ends up moving here. But I, if you go take a look at what New Jersey has, I think you're liking a lot of what the potential return might be. So they have most of their picks here over the next three years. They're uh, missing a second-round pick potentially. Um, they're missing a, a few mid-round picks over the next three years. But they've got all their first. They've got all their thirds. Uh, they've got most of their seconds. So you're talking about from a draft capital standpoint, there's lots of things the Flames would be interested in. Roster players, there's some really interesting names when it comes to guys who are in that, you know, 23, 22 to 25 range, whether it be Dawson Mercer, who's a player that a lot of people have pointed out and saying, could the Flames somehow be able to pry him away from New Jersey? Are, are the Devils going to be able to fit Mercer into their cap here going forward? That's a player that's quite interesting. Um, there's there's a couple of defensemen that are in that age range that you're like, yeah, you, you could you could see them, uh, you could see those players getting an opportunity with the Flames. Um, and then the prospects are something that I am not an expert in, but we have a gentleman across from me who has a whole lot more expertise in it, who just happens to be the guy who runs FC hockey. What, like in terms of prospects, what would be available of interest to you if you're the Flames looking at New Jersey? So for me, I would automatically take Luke Hughes and uh, Simon Nemich off the table if I'm from the New Jersey perspective, because those are potential franchise defensemen that you're going to at one point bridge, and it's going to extend your window just by way of the salary cap. After those two names, and I, I'm lumping them in because they're rookies, I'm not going to include names like Alexander Holtz or Dawson Mercer in this, but in terms of players that aren't pro yet in North America, there's a couple that jump out. Seamus Casey is one of them. He's a defenseman at Michigan, uh, was the number 46 pick in the 22 draft. He's kind of, to me, a little like Lane Hudson, maybe not quite as dynamic, not quite as skilled, but he definitely has a lot of the same characteristics with uh, his fluidity in his skating, his mobility, his puck reads, his ability to move the puck. Now, he might be a little redundant now with Hunter Brustevich in the organization, but again, the more you have in your pool, the likelihood of hitting on one of them increases. So he's a guy, and he's one of the initial 84 to be nominated for the Hobie Baker. They pare down their list from a, a massive selection, and it gets smaller and smaller as you get closer to naming the Hobie Hattrick and the and yeah. the winner and all that, but he's... He leads the NCAA in scoring by a defenseman with 34 points in 26 games. So he's he's a legit blue chip type prospect. We had him ranked inside the first round, slid to the second round in 2022 at FC Hockey. At FC Hockey, yep. Yeah. Uh, another See one, little, little product placement there. That was just that was that was very nicely done. Lenny Hamanaho, he's a Finnish winger playing in Liga right How now. How confident there, are you in 100? percent Really in 100%. that in that pronunciation? Yeah, because Do it one I, more time. Hamanaho. I like that because I've heard audio of it. Nice. So, I, I mean, I'm not coming in blind on this one. I'm not going to lie. I do try to bring it for Flames Talk and Pat I Steinberg. So I did did well, some I due diligence and homework. He was selected. When, he was, I believe he was a second round pick. He was their top pick in 2023. We had him ranked 73rd overall. He's got 21 points in 33 games playing against uh, men in Finland in their top circuit. Hockey senses off the charts. Great shot. Everything else is just okay. His skating could use a little bit of Im improvement. Um, one of our scouts actually watched him closely at the World Juniors and figured he has got about middle six potential in there. And then there's also a Russian winger who skews a little bit older, might be more ready to step into an NHL role 
in Arseny Gritsyuk, who plays with SKA St. Petersburg. Uh, 5'11", 192-pound left shot winger. Um, back in 2019, he was drafted 129th overall. We had him 133rd. Um, just solid straight across the board. No major deficiencies. Productive at the KHL level, which is either the second or the third best league in the world, depending on how you want to look at it, with 37 points in 43 games. That makes him a top 40 scorer in that league. But he's turning 23 in March, still in the KHL, under contract in Russia for another season after this. But he's another one of those intriguing prospects that I might look at as I don't want to necessarily say as a throw in. But if he's a sweetener in a deal, I'm happy with that sweetener. Uh and and then the other name that as as a texter brought up and and I have heard this name out there as well. Um, and this is not from a prospect standpoint. So those those are three prospects that you've identified that could be potentially gettable if you're a team dealing with New Jersey in a trade. Not named Nemec or Hughes, which of course makes sense. Um, but the other young player that I forgot to mention is actually gonna we we think anyway start on a line with Jack Hughes in his return Thursday night, and that's Alexander Holtz who is a first-round pick back in 2020, uh, who's having a decent year and is still young, but sounds like maybe not on the uh, same page at all times with Lindy Ruff. This says um, on the text line, sounds like Alexander Holtz may be further down the lineup and not on the same page as Ruff. That'd be a very interesting pickup, specifically in a in a Hannafin trade. So again, you know, you take a look at the, the player that they targeted last time, a younger player who was a little further down the depth chart in Sharon Govich, and they've given, in, in Calgary, they've given him more of an opportunity, much more of an opportunity on the depth chart. Well, again, now Holtz is getting a great opportunity to play with Hughes if that's the way it goes, and if that lasts, maybe it's a different story, but whether it's Holtz, whether it's um, a few of the other players that at Mercer, um, even John Marino's an interesting player at 26. Like guys like that that could be the roster player coming back, depending on a trade. If you're also getting the future assets, are are also things to to look at when talking about this. Holtz would be so interesting for me because he's just he's averaging just over 12 minutes a game this season, so he's very underutilized for what his skill set should dictate. And I mean, he's still averaging 12 minutes a game. He's got 12 goals and 23 points in 48 games. So the production is there. It's evident in limited time, but I don't know exactly where he fits in their lineup. I don't know exactly what the um, issue, for lack of a better term, is there in terms of him gaining more trust, gaining more ice time. It could just simply be a, a trust issue with the coach, but he's a player that was drafted seventh overall in 2020. We had him ranked sixth overall. Like He's a high-end elite offensive threat going back to even before his draft year. Like he's been a player that has been on the radar. He's not, it's not somebody that's crept up from the six or seven. Like he's been, he's as blue chip as it got for the 2020 NHL draft. That's the type of player that you might not need. Like say, say that just, and and we're spitballing. It's that time of year. We're Mm -hmm. into February. We're exactly a month from the trade deadline. So we can be a little irresponsible and we're not, um, it's it's not irresponsible because we're not saying this is going to happen, but that could be the type of player. If you're getting a 22-year-old Alexander Holtz in a deal that involves Noah Hannafin the other way, maybe you don't get a first-round pick back. Probably maybe, not, to be maybe honest. Maybe it's, it's Holtz, a second-round pick, and another roster player, but the key piece that you're after is is Alexander Holtz. And I'm, I, again, I have no idea whether or not New Jersey would be willing to give him up, but he has not been put in some of the high-leverage spots that uh, I think that he 
uh, it was as expected to be in, and there's been some talk in that market about where is this going to be. I just that's another name because as much as the Flames are interested, Vicks in first round picks and you know 18, 19, 20 year old prospects, they're also looking at guys who are younger but who are playing in the NHL right now or who are younger and are ready to play in the NHL right now. Yeah, they're looking for players that can make an impact tomorrow, not a player that can make an impact two years from now, and not a pick that might not see the light of day in the NHL. For for three or four seasons just based on development paths. So to me, Alexander Holtz is definitely a guy you target. If Tom Fitzgerald should ring up your number and ask about any any player on the Calgary Flames roster, whether it's the ones you've mentioned or, or if there's another hockey-type trade to be made, Alexander Holtz from the New Jersey Devils is one of those guys that goes to the forefront. Again, that's assuming Namich isn't available, Luke Hughes isn't available, which by no means should they be from a New Jersey perspective. But I can see a scenario where Alexander Holtz is. Well, again, if you wanna if you wanna get better, right? If you wanna turn from a team that is knocking on the door and a playoff team and without injuries and with average goaltending, as you mentioned earlier, this is a playoff team mm-hmm. this year. I don't think there's any any doubt about that. But if you wanna go from that to being a team that can maximize an elite number one overall pick in in Jack Hughes and a pretty damn good top pick in Luke Hughes. Like if you want to start maximizing these guys, you have to be able to sacrifice elsewhere to bring in a player of the caliber of Hannafin or somebody like that. You don't just get without giving. And to me, this is the difference between a rebuild and a retool. Rebuild would be going after those first round picks and second round picks and recently drafted prospects. A retool to me, is targeting a guy like Holtz, who is 22 years old, who's kind of in his second season in the NHL. He played 19 games last year. He's up to 48 this season. To me, going Holtz over a first-round pick is more the retool debate versus the full-on rebuild debate because he's just going to speed up your opportunity to reopen a competitive window if you're the Calgary Flames that has NHL-ready young players coming back as opposed to a 2024 first round pick, which is maybe potentially somewhere between 14 and 24. And those players don't typically see the light of day in the NHL for two or three seasons. Let's read a few texts, 960, 960. By the way, we're underway. It's Flamestock Vickers Steinberg on this Thursday. Uh, this reads, uh, how do teams get permission before a trade to extend to increase the return? And it's really simple. They ask for it. And I'm not trying to be a... Um, not trying to be uh, a jerk about that at all. It's just, it is that simple. It's like, hey, team, uh, one GM says, hey, we're really interested in player X on your roster, but we'd like to have an opportunity to talk to player X and his agent about uh, an extension here. Would you grant permission to do that? Team says, yep, we're going to be moving player X. So uh, if that's going to help get a deal done and maybe maximize our return, we give you that permission. So then GM of the other team starts talking to player X's agent and they work out a deal and they work out that deal. And then a trade gets made and instantly that deal is ready to be signed. We saw it with Mark Stone and the Ottawa Senators four years ago, uh, five years ago, whenever that was, four years ago. No, five years ago, 2024, 2019. Yeah, five years ago. I mean, we saw a pure sign-in trade with that was, Matthew Kachuk. Which is different. That that was that was 
Brad Treliving negotiating with Matthew Kachuk on behalf of Florida and then trading enough, with yeah, that yeah. contract signed. But this would be a little bit a little bit different, but same idea. But yeah, it's as simple as that. You say, hey, can we get permission? Team gives you that permission. That's how Mark Stone got an 8 by 9 immediately as soon as he signed. Uh, rather was yeah, it wasn't a coincidence that that signing was announced immediately after the fact. Exactly. It's not like they, uh, it's not like they hey, I got traded here. Give me a contract. I'll sign it right now. Here's eight by nine. Yes, uh, let's do it. It was already in place. Um, what else we got here at 960, 960? This says, uh, New Jersey's first or Holtz is it for me? You're not getting Mercer. I, I am kind of of the same opinion, Mick. It feels unlikely that you would be able to pry a guy like Mercer out of New Jersey. I'm a big fan of the player, and his numbers are down from where they were last year. But, you know, as a 21-year-old, he got 56 points last year. He is um, he's a really, really interesting player, plays with a little edge. Um, he's, uh, he's got a good amount of skill. You know, he's at 24 points this year. He's probably going to be on pace for about 40, somewhere between 40 and 45, which is down from last year. But as a rookie and a sophomore, 42 points and 56 points, there's something there. And he's a center iceman. I, I think it's more likely you could get a pure right winger like Holtz yeah. as opposed to a guy like Mercer, who, by the way, were both first-round picks of the Devils in the same draft, uh, number seven and number 18 overall that year. So Tidy bit of work by them that year. Not bad at all. Again, goes back to, you know, you talk about a retool on the fly. You know, there, there's, there's a really good, really good example of how you can do it if you're New Jersey. Or remember Dallas in the draft? That's what I was thinking of. Ottinger, I didn't want to bring it up, but. What, Ottinger, Robertson, Rope Hints, and Jason Robertson yeah. all got them in their first, first two rounds, I think, they got those guys. You'll take, you'll take those ex- types of drafts. That'll expedite things in a hurry. Oh, no, it wasn't. It was. Um, it was Ottinger, wasn't Haskin in that draft? Because I think it was Haskin and Ottinger and one of the other guys they got in that same draft. But there were three. You go look it up. I was like, if you stall long enough, I'll have it. Yeah, uh, I'll continue reading some text while you do that. Uh, this says, we'll be interesting to see if Holtz ends the game with Hughes. Good point. Uh, this reads, regarding Tanev, I don't know if I'd target Holtz. How many right wings do they need? Coronado doesn't even have a spot. Look for a D or C. If Kuzmenko works, you have Coleman, Pospisil, Coronado, even Yegor. The thing with Coleman and Pospisil are, though, they're both left shots. They don't need to play the right side. Yep. They still have... Next to none, um, well, with Kuzmenko in, I was going to say next to no skilled right shot right wingers. Well, that would be unfair to Kuzmenko because he hits, fits the bill. But Kuzmenko's a right shot. Doer's a right Doer's shot. a right shot. Coronado's a right shot. You're short on him right now. Coleman plays the right side, but he's a left shot. Pospisil plays the right side. He's a left shot. So I think you're always looking for more right shot right wingers. Anyway, uh, you found the draft. Yeah, the uh, 2017 draft. Heiskanen third overall. Ottinger 26. Jason Robertson 39. So talk about hitting on your top three three picks yep. and completely rebuilding your franchise overnight. Not bad at all. Uh, good stuff on the text line at nine sixty nine sixty. Speaking of, of Martin Pospisil, I just, I really, it, it, the, the more I thought about that deal from Wednesday, the two year extension, the flame signed Pospisil to the more I just, I think that's a really good move for both sides. Like for the flames, they're given a raise to a guy who has only played 34 NHL games. They're giving him a raise and a guaranteed one-way two-year contract, right? So there's a little bit of risk on the flame side of things. That 34 games, we're going to go two years with you, and we're not even going to go into the qualifying offer conversation. We're just going to give you the two years, give you the $250,000 raise one way, let's go. They've seen enough. So there's a little bit of a leap of faith there from the flames, but 
On the benefit side of things, they keep team control at the end. He remains a restricted free agent. It's only 250 k under the cap. Like, it works for the Flames. And then for, for Pospisil, it's, uh, it's a nice, tidy piece of work as well. Is that, you know, if he continues to play this way, maybe he's got a little leverage on a one-year deal in free agency. Does it again? Maybe he's got more leverage on, on the next deal. But he said, no, no, let's take the two years. I know that'll be RFA at the end, see where we are. I think it works really well for both sides. And it just, it, it's, a, it's a really good feel-good story. A guy that a lot of people didn't think was ever going to be here, myself included. A guy that didn't even know if injuries aside could be an NHLer. And then for a while there, didn't know if he'd ever be able to overcome those injuries to be a full-time pro. And not only is he shown that he's a full-time pro this year, he's shown he's a full-time NHLer. It's uh, one of the really cool feel-good stories I can remember uh, around the Flames in quite some time. Good good on him and, and good on the team for inking him for the next two years. Yeah, not a lot of downside from either party's perspective, from my angle anyways, because as from a player, you're getting some security. It's not just a one-year deal. You've had a lot of injury troubles in the past, so... If the worst case scenario should happen, you're still set up financially regardless of what happens injury-wise. From a team perspective, you get a young player that will be under control by the time the contract expires. It's a million dollars, so yeah, a little bit of a slight bump and raise, but you can absolutely bury that entire cap hit if it doesn't work out for the Calgary Flames perspective on the performance of the player. You can go down to the minors, that cap hit is absorbed and all it costs you is money out of pocket. So I think it's, I don't even want, it's not really necessarily a gamble from either side either, because I think it provides a lot of assurances for both parties. And I think it just makes a whole lot of sense for team and player. Uh, I had a chance to chat with Martin a little earlier on Thursday as uh, part of our pregame show on flames radio for Thursday night. But um, you know, he only he only got to play like four minutes in his return to action on on Tuesday night. But and and uh, yep. I asked him about that. He's like, yeah, I was pretty pissed off because I was feeling really good out there, and then I got kicked out. But I uh, asked him a couple of questions about uh, the contract extension as well, and uh, he admits he didn't think he was uh, he would be here. Here's a little bit of my chat with Martin Pospisil earlier on Thursday after signing a two year extension with the Flames. It's awesome. Probably uh, like a couple months ago, I would never know. Never even thinking about it, so it's it's pretty cool, and I'm uh, really excited for for the uh, next 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 two years. And uh, um, yeah, it's you know it's great, uh, great city, great fans. So I'm super excited, pumped, and uh, and uh, you know uh, it wasn't an easy uh, way to to get here where I'm right now, and uh, I'm I really really appreciate it for for the, this chance and. Uh, also, for, uh, I appreciate it for this organization. They were still still uh, believing me even through uh, a really, really tough time. But I had all the injuries and, and uh, all, you know, uh, so it was, was it's, it's pretty special for me that they were still believing me. And uh, now I'm trying to, trying to uh, show that uh, I can play here and uh, I can be, um, I can be part of the, part of the team. Yeah, you talk about how maybe a few months ago you would not have seen this coming, and and you just talked a little bit about it there. But how how grateful are you to the Flames, and and just how grateful are you to be where you are right now? Yeah, I'm really grateful grateful for for this opportunity, and uh, you know I'm try I try to work uh, as hard as I can, and uh, uh, provide the data I can I can uh, be uh, be in this team and. Uh, and uh, yeah, um, 
I'm like I said, I'm super excited and uh and it's 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 uh, special for me that that uh, that I signed another two years and uh looking forward and uh, and you know this is this is uh, this is just the start and uh, uh and uh, yeah I'm super excited. That's a little bit of my chat with Martin Pospisil after signing his two year contract extension on Wednesday. Good for him. Like he. He's a very it's 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 actually a, a cool little blend. Like I, I've talked to him a few times one on one since he's he's gotten here with the Flames, and there is a a very very palatable palpable um, amount of um, confidence there. Like he he is very confident in what he is as a player. He believes that I belong in the NHL. This is where I am. I'm an NHLer. He's never he never really wavered on that confidence in terms of what he is as a player confidence of whether or not he was going to get there because of some other things out of his control, maybe not. And at the same time, there's a lot of, there's a swagger, but there's a lot of humbleness as you just heard there or humility, I believe is the correct word. <laughs> humbleness. Um, but there's a lot of humility there. Like the, he, you can tell how grateful he is for the journey that he's had to travel to get here, how grateful he is to the flames for sticking with him and not cutting bait and believing in him all through the the difficult last few years. It's a it's a cool mix of swagger and and just overall gratefulness and and perspective and humility. I, I really appreciate it, especially for a guy at his age. Well, he's self-aware and he knows exactly the type of player he is and the type of player he needs to be in order to stay in the NHL. Sometimes when a yeah. younger player comes up, they don't necessarily realize what part of their games are supposed to translate to the NHL level, or they try to fill a different role or they're placed in a different position and kind of lose themselves in their own game. That's not going to happen with Martin Possible. So he knows exactly the recipe and the brand of hockey he needs to play mm -hmm. in order to have a career in the NHL. And to this point, he's executed it perfectly. Good on him. And uh, hopefully he lasts more than uh, 16 minutes of a period in the game Thursday night against New Jersey. Um, even though a lot of people didn't mind him taking a little bit of a yeah. lick at Brad Marchand. Probably won a lot of friends league-wide, actually, to be honest. Yeah, you know what? And that's exactly the way the Flames wanted. It's uh, Aaron Vickers and Pat Steinberg along with you this hour on Flames Talk. We're coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls, they have a simple, permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Anything and everything Calgary Flames. It's all on Flames Talk. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Now time for a Thursday edition of our Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills open on Family Day. Do something with the family and something you want to do and find exceptional savings just minutes from the Calgary airport. It's Steinberg, Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. Now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames roundtable on this Thursday. Uh, gents, it's only one game. We didn't talk about uh, we didn't talk about this gentleman much on our roundtable on Wednesday because first half of the hour we spent a lot of time talking about Andre Kuzmenko, but wanted to talk a little bit more about him on this Thursday edition of the roundtable. It's only been one game. Scored his first goal four minutes and 20 seconds into his Flames debut in Boston and had some... Really, really uh, exciting forays in the offensive zone and, and definitely showed a high level of skill. Gents, it is only one game, but is Andre Kuzmenko instantly the most dynamic offensive player on this Flames team? Wow. Uh, it's an interesting question. I'm going to go with no. 
uh, A, because it was one game, and B, because I didn't think he was the most dynamic offensive player the Flames had in their 4-1 victory over the Bruins on Tuesday night. I thought his left winger, Jonathan Huberto, was. Huberto played maybe, probably, his best game as a member of the Flames, certainly uh, the best game that I've seen him play so far this season. And for me, he was kind of the straw that stirred the drink on that new look first line with Yegor Sharangovich moving from right wing to center. And then you've got Jonathan Huberto on the left. And you've got the newcomer who did look good and did score less than five minutes into his Flames debut in Andre Kuzmenko on the right. So, you know, Kuzmenko is a different player than Huberto, obviously. Huberto is a pass first guy and had one goal and two assists in that game on Tuesday night. Kuzmenko is certainly a shoot first guy. I think you could make a strong argument that he is the Flames' best shooting threat, although his centerman, Sharon Govich, might have something to say about that. But I'm not ready to say that he's their most dynamic offensive player after one game, especially when I, I wouldn't put him at the top of the list. As good as he was on Tuesday, for me, Huberto was even better. Yeah, the key word in that question for me is dynamic, and I think uh, I'm with you, Wilsey, in terms of even on that line, I think in game one for Kuzmenko, Jonathan Huberto showed a lot more of that dynamic playmaking ability than perhaps Kuzmenko showed his dynamic scoring ability. Don't get me wrong, that goal was a goal scorer's goal. And if you were to ask me of all the players on the Calgary Flames roster as it stands on Tuesday, February 8th, who's the most likely to be a 35-plus goal scorer? If Kuzmenko can find his mojo again, and I think we saw that in Game 1, I would go Kuzmenko being your most dynamic goal-scoring threat on the Calgary Flames. But sample size being what it is and knowing that he didn't necessarily have a great start to the season with the Vancouver Canucks, not quite ready yet to declare that Kuzmenko is instantly the most dynamic offensive player on the Flames. I, uh, I, I'll, I'll answer my own question. I'll take the other side. I don't think it's close, guys. And it's not a knock on anybody on the team. And, and I guess it all depends. You know, it, we, we might actually agree on this, even though it's going to sound like we're disagreeing, because it all comes down to in a lot of ways, what your definition of dynamic is, right? So, like, you know, because I, I think that what you guys said about Jonathan on, on Tuesday night is also very fair, but when I talk about dynamic, I talk about, like, gets you out of your seat, exciting. I don't think the Flames have had a player, and I've watched a lot of Kuzmenko in Vancouver. I watched a a, a very large chunk of his 39-goal season. I don't think Vancouver, like, I don't think Vancouver has a player that's as exciting as Kuzmenko is, and that's including Elias Pettersson. Wow. I guess Quinn Hughes would probably be I don't think they have a forward as exciting or had a forward as exciting as Kuzmenko because I don't think Pedersen is a guy that always gets you out of your seat and JT Miller is a really good player but Kuzmenko does things that very few players in this league do or even attempt to do and it doesn't always work but I go back and watch that game like he's he's making toe drags on every play he's putting the puck behind him it's like the, the Flames don't have anything like that this is their most like creative, exciting player since 13 was here. I'm not saying he's at the same level, and I'm not saying that it's going to yield the same results or anything like that. But when I watch Kuzmenko play and, and have watched him play in this league for a season and a half now, even though his numbers are not great this year, there are, it's just, to me, a guy who gets you out of your seat 
does things that a lot of guys don't think to do, tries to play through you with skill and is successful a lot of the time. Um, that, that to me is why I answer the question. Yes, because I do think he's got some really big deficiencies on the other side of the puck and you, you're, you're not going to be counting on him to uh, be playing head to head against the best players on the other team or out there trying to protect the lead necessarily with a minute to go. But if you're looking for a guy to just make something out of nothing and do something that you're not expecting, that's that's what Kuzmenko brings to this team. And so, yeah, I, I, I answer my question. Yeah, I do think he's the most dynamic or creative or exciting player on the team. Um, doesn't necessarily make him the best or the most effective player on the team, but with those kind of ooh and ah and flashy things that are brought to the table, to me, it's not close. That's that's what Kuzmenko's all about, and he's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I'm not there, at least not yet, but uh, I certainly understand where you're coming from, Pat. I guess it really does depend on your definition, and I think we have probably uh, different definitions when it comes to uh, what, uh, a dan- dynamic player is. Uh, he is certainly a, a dynamic shooter. Um, wouldn't call him a dynamic playmaker. Huberto certainly looked like one of those on Tuesday night. And I think Kuzmenko had a, a big part to play in that because, you know, for a year and a half, the Flames searched for somebody, anybody who had chemistry with Jonathan Huberto. And they had a hard time finding a guy. And I know it's one game, but it's the only sample size we have to work with right now. There appeared to be instant chemistry between Huberto, the team's best passer, and Kuzmenko, one of the team's top two shooters, I would say. Sharon Govich has had such a breakthrough for the Flames this year. I'd put him in that conversation as well. But I'd also argue that Nazem Kadri is a guy who can quite often make something out of nothing and look really dynamic out there. And I would also argue that in his first season in this league, Connor Zeri has done the same. As a matter of fact, on Tuesday night in that game against the Bruins, he scored an absolutely beautiful goal. You know, cutting to the front of the net and uh, going from, what was it, forehand to backhand uh, and burying it. Just a beautiful move on one of the game's best goaltenders in Jeremy Swayman. So I think the Flames do have some of those guys. Could Kuzmenko be at the top of that list by the end of the season? Maybe. He certainly had his flashes in that game against the Bruins on Tuesday night, but uh, I'm going to pump the brakes a bit, at least for myself. Uh, I'm not going to put him at the top of that list, at least not yet. I think he'll come around. I think by the end of the year, I might. You'll, you'll be I on might. my side. Uh, Daily Flames Roundtable, Derek Vickers Steinberg on this Thursday. Um, guys, we, we heard a little bit earlier this hour uh, when I chatted with Martin Pospisil after he signed his two-year contract extension on Wednesday. Two-year extension, $1 million AAV. It will expire when he still is under team control as a restricted free agent. This works really well on both sides. It's one-way security um, and, and multi-year for Pospisil. It's a team-friendly deal with only a $250,000 raise and retains team control for the Flames. Like This is one that is clearly something that works on both sides. But that's now. That's in February when we've seen a steady dose of Martin Pospisil since early November. Go back to where we were in November when he got recalled. As how much of a straight-up surprise, how stunning, surprising, shocking is it where we are with Martin Pospisil and what he's been able to accomplish? All of those things for me, Pat. Quite frankly, I just didn't know much about the guy. 
he missed more games due to injury than he played in in his first four professional seasons. I'm not sure the organization knew what they had in Martin Pospisil. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty confident they didn't. But he has been a, a revelation. Uh, the fact that he's not only played on what you could argue has been their most consistently good offensive line with Nazem Kadri and, and Connor Zaria, the Kadri and the kids line, but has been a big part of that threesome, I think speaks volumes. And the fact that he's done it the way he's done it as a first-year player in this league, so impressive for me because he brings an element that the Flames, quite frankly, don't have a lot of. You could argue don't have enough of. And that's the ability to play with pace and play with physicality. So even when he's not scoring goals and producing points, he is still finding ways to impact hockey games. And we saw that in Boston on Tuesday night. He has developed pretty quickly a reputation around the league for being a guy who's not a lot of fun to play against. And I love those types of players. He plays right on the edge. And yeah, as a guy who's new to the league and is still trying to figure it out and what he can and can't get away with, he does cross that line from time to time. He did that uh, getting involved with Brad Marchand on Tuesday night. I didn't like the call. I still don't like the call. Could it have been a double minor for roughing? Sure, but five in a game for that on him? No, not in my opinion, but uh, I guess that's a moot point. Or maybe it isn't a moot point because that's who Martin Pospisil is. And despite the fact that he's only played in 34 games this season, he's second on the team in hits with 102. And again, just he finds ways to impact almost every single game that he plays in. And I think the way he plays with that speed and with that physicality has created some open ice for his line mates, Nazem Kadri and Connor Zary, and allowed them to do what they do best. So he has been an absolute revelation. He has been a huge, pleasant surprise for me this season. And I think the Flames would probably say the same thing. He's been a massive surprise for me. And when we were entering training camp and going through camp and as it was closing out, I'm not sure whether he would have even registered on my depth chart in terms of figuring out, all right, the Calgary Flames are going to start these four lines. And then this is who you might have at center as the next call up right wing, left wing. Like he wasn't on my radar whatsoever. And a lot of that is simply because, as you mentioned, Will, he's had a rough go the past four or five seasons in terms of injuries, whether it be uh, knee injuries, concussions. I'm not certain he was certain he would get to this point, to be perfectly honest with you, in terms of all the injuries he sustained. And I wonder if that put him off the radar a little bit. But I do remember at the time of the call up, I can't remember if it was. Uh, Caller Huska that said he had been the Wranglers' best all-round player to date at the time of the call-up. So this isn't a call him up and let's just see if he can play in the NHL. This was a, he's earned it, he's deserved it, he persevered, he's always come in and, and gone about his business the same way, and now all of a sudden he comes up and, and he's been a revelation for the Calgary Flames. The Flames don't have a player of his cut, of his ilk, and as you mentioned, he can impact the game a lot of ways, whether it's his physicality, his uh, ability to agitate, his speed to open up. Like, he can open up stuff for his line mates in multiple ways that other players just can't. And that's not to say he's going to be a point-per-game player once he hits his stride. I mean, we're still talking about a player that's on pace for eight goals in 66 games. But he just touches so many different areas of the game when he goes out on a shift, whether it is to throw a hit, whether it is to drive wide uh, with the puck, whether it is to face wash or punch a guy after the whistle like he's a very unique player on the Calgary Flames and he's certainly not one that was on my radar back in September to have the impact that he's had so far well and and I remember watching some Wrangler games last year 
Um, definitely a training camp this year. And I was like, yeah, I mean, Martin Pospisil still in the organization. And, um, and, and the only thing that always gave me pause is there were a couple people in the organization who always just said to me when talking about prospects or if they'd be listening and I'd talk about prospects, you'd get a text and they'd say, don't forget about Pospisil. And, and for instance, I, I know going back over the last three, four years when Craig Conroy was still the AGM, you know, he was one of those guys who was always saying, don't forget about Pospisil. We know about the injuries, and we know he hasn't played a lot of hockey, and thus maybe it hasn't popped the level that, that everybody would have liked. But don't forget about this guy because we, we really think there's an NHL future. There's a middle six winger in this guy, and we think we can get him there. And so I, I give the Flames a lot of credit for at no point. That's what he said earlier this hour. Like gives a, he, he really has a lot of gratitude to the Flames for not cutting bait when a lot of other teams may have with the injury history and with it, it never, you know, it's had some good stretches, but it's never been able to be sustained and, and mostly because of those injuries, but the flame stuck with it the entire time and just felt like if he could get past that and put the injuries behind him, that they had a player on their hands. And so I, I, that always stuck in the back of my head as much as my evaluation, I was always very meh on him. And so when they recalled him, I was like, I guess we'll see. I know they like him, but I, I haven't seen it. Well, he's, uh, he's proven them right and, and proven that they, again, probably have better eyes. Well, definitely have better eyes than I do. So, so it's, it's been a real good surprise. And personally, it's been one of the bigger surprises I can remember, but I don't think it's a surprise for the Flames. I think it's an affirmation for the team. I think it's a, I think the surprise maybe has been how quickly he was able to do some of these things. But I think internally for the Flames, I know internally for the Flames, they're like, and this is what we always thought was there. This is what we thought he could be at the NHL level. This is why we didn't give up on him. So I think it's more affirmation internally for a lot of their talent eyes and a lot of their decision makers. And on the outside for us, I think rightfully so, it, it's a lot of surprise. Yeah, no doubt about it. And let's be honest, the Flames needed some pleasant surprises this season. And he's been, if not at the top of the list, then uh, quite close to it. So He's been an excellent player for them. And again, uh, the type of player they don't have a lot of. A uh, guy who plays with that pace and that physicality. And uh, I think he's going to learn where that fine line is between uh, being aggressive and, and too aggressive as he was with uh, Marchand the other night. But a fun guy to watch and uh, a fun guy to be around. Well, and I do wonder what his ultimate offensive ceiling is as well, because he is still just figuring out the NHL game at both ends of the ice, and he is figuring out where that line is physically, but he does have some tools. And again, I go back to the speed, and I, I go back to that one play that Nazem Kadri banks the pass off the far boards yeah. so that Pospisil can take it in stride, beats the defenseman wide, cuts in and tucks it into the net. Like there's there's a reason why he had 63 points in 44 games in the USHL after the year after the Calgary Flames drafted him. And if you just kind of go back through some of his seasons, he's either at a point per game or slightly above it. Like he's not just this guy that's going to face wash you after the whistle. I'm curious to see how much more growth offensively he can provide 
as he settles yeah. in and gets used to what he's able to do at the NHL level. It's as funny well. some of the comparisons that that have have come out, and you know, I I used the one on Wednesday. I, I used like there, there's uh, it reminds me a lot of what Billy Neiman was on this team in in uh, 04, and especially down the stretch and into the playoffs in 04. There's been some other ones, and and you think of like I I think of guys over the last number of years who have brought that grease factor, right? Um, you think of Matthew Kachuk. Well, that's not a good comparable. I don't think Martin Pospisil is ever going to go triple digits in this league. That's not a knock on him, but Matthew Kachuk's a special player. It's a unicorn. Those guys come around very, very rarely. So he's not Matthew Kachuk. You know, I think about Garnet Hathaway. That's a guy that brought a lot of grease to the game. But I think Pospisil's got a, a higher ceiling than and, and has, you know, significantly more skill than, yeah. than Hathaway does. So I don't think that's a good comparable. But a couple people have brought up the name Michael Furland on the text line and and what Furland was when he was healthy and and getting a lot of high leverage minutes with the Flames. And and I, I you know, and not just that series against Vancouver where we all remember Ferkland? what he was. Yeah, Ferkland. Uh, but it was it was you know a lot of time that he spent with Monahan and Gaudreau and what he brought to that line and so I think that's a decent because you know Ferland played a very hard-nosed game he was not afraid to drop the gloves he finished checks he got under the skin of other players as we saw a number of different times but he also had a decent amount of skill that went around went around with his game and maybe they're not identical players but I, I think they impact the game or have the opportunity in Pospisil's case to impact the game in a similar way so I didn't mind that comparison either to him yeah I actually quite like that comparison the one thing I would say is that I think Martin Pospisil has uh, a little bit better understanding of his physical limits and that might have something to do with all the injuries the he's concussions dealt with over the last five years yeah because you know Michael Furland we, we talked about it uh, during that series against the Canucks and certainly after he couldn't play that way for 82 games you you just can't your body would not withstand that type of punishment so when he tried to play that way regularly his body just broke down unfortunately and, and that led to a, an early end to his career so hopefully having to, to go through uh, some adversity as far as uh, all of the injuries earlier in his career Martin Pospisil's learned how he has to play not just to be effective and to play at the highest level in the world but to have a prolonged career so we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, maybe the injury bug will bite him again, but he's been relatively healthy this season, and, and hopefully he stays that way. Uh, good stuff, Wilsey. Uh, see you in a few hours, hey? Okay, we'll see you soon. That is Derek Wills. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. That'll start to wrap us up on this hour of Flames Talk. It'll also wrap up our Daily Flames Roundtable. Thanks to Cam and Shan, our producers this hour, and the Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you, as always, by our friends at Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills open on family day. Do something with the family and something you want to do and find exceptional savings just minutes from the Calgary Airport.